Hi, and welcome to The Codec Call, The Codec Moments podcast. I'm Andy Brown, at ClinicalAndy on Twitter. Don't forget, if you want to tweet us today during the podcast, you can do so at Codec Moments with the hashtag Codec Call. All right, so with me today on The Codec Call is Sparkweed's Richard Booser, who is at Richard Booser on Twitter. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? Thank you very much for joining us today. It's really appreciated. Richard is one of the pair who developed the PlayStation 3 game Ibanob. Yes, Cindy. Um, amongst many other things. And the one thing I noticed is that you're of a similar age to Matt and I who run Codec Moments. So what inspired your gaming style? The gameplay-wise or like, or the visual style? You seem to have a very visual way of approaching things, I think. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and in this case, Ipanop started out as my graduation project uh, already quite a while ago. And basically, that, that was my first attempt at game design, specifically at, at art for games as well. It started as a really rough prototype. I was looking for something that had a nice interaction between multiple people. I didn't know what kind of interaction, uh, be it competitive or cooperative. I didn't know. I was trying different experiments and... And all of this back then I did using the Unreal Engine. Basically, it became an Unreal Tournament mod, which looking back at what kind of game it turned into uh, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But it, it was what I knew and uh, what I had some experience with. So at a certain moment during the process, I had the first idea for this double gravity world, which seemed to lend itself very well for two players uh, cooperating. And basically from there, it, it kept on, or I kept on iterating uh, on that. And actually in this case, it didn't start very visual. It started, well, really prototype-like. So the, the graphics looked like Unreal Tournament in a way and uh, looked nothing like they, uh, they do today. And I, I focused first on the gameplay. I iterated on the gameplay until I felt that the core was good. And then from there, I slowly iterated on the visuals as well. And basically that uh, that had quite a lot of restraints for me because it was my graduation project and I didn't have, uh, well, I couldn't spend ages on that. So I chose a style that I was kind of comfortable with. Uh, and also that seemed doable within, uh, within like a time frame of half a year. So in a way it ended up as this sort of modular vector art system where I, I basically create a set of decoration uh, with individual pieces and then I make these compositions out of them, uh, which in the end turned out to be a very suitable style for Ibnop. And it was something that I'd kind of done before in my in my work as a, mostly as a freelance graphic designer and a flash designer. I don't know, it just evolved into this. So it was your graduation project in 2008? Yeah, and it was released on the PlayStation Three in two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> there's a gap. There. Yeah, there's a gap there. But was it was it something that you went back to, or have you spent that long iterating it? I mean, how long did it take to finish? And did you ever get to a point where you thought, yes, this is this is done, or did you get to the point where you thought, no, I've just got to release it. I can't stop iterating this anymore. Yeah. So so I, I like the the gap is even longer because I graduated in two thousand seven already. Basically, what happened after that? Like, I graduated industrial design, so actually, I didn't study product. Uh, I didn't study game design. Uh, I studied product design. Kind of as a result of that, I didn't have a lot of. I didn't have actually any connections with the with the gaming industry. And the only thing I really had was this this first prototype. People seemed to enjoy this prototype a lot, 
so it felt like something worth exploring. And basically I said to myself, okay, let's try and see if people are interested enough and if there is any way of making this a real, real production and getting this on a console or on PC. But yeah, it took a long time, basically because I, I needed to figure everything out from, from scratch. So uh, the first step that really happened was I submitted the game for Indicate in 2008. They selected the game and uh, as part of the selection, they brought it to the E3 in Los Angeles. And that was kind of like, for me, really the moment where it started, because I, I also went there and I was there like fresh out of school uh, on, on the E3 uh, without, with very little knowledge about the gaming industry. But people really enjoyed it and it got a lot of press attention and uh, Sony uh, or it caught Sony's eye. And after after two days, I was talking to Sony of, uh, on how to get this game to PS3. So there was kind of like a whirlwind thing that I suddenly uh, ended up in. And back home, I decided to team up with uh, Roland Eisermans, who is a good friend of mine and who also uh, helped out during my graduation. And he already had a job in the game industry. So yeah, he, he liked the idea of starting a studio together and uh, making Ip and Op our first project and trying to get it as far as possible. Well, actually, and after that, it still took a very long time uh, without actually working on the game, uh, negotiating with Sony, uh, trying to find funding somewhere, uh, trying to find other people to collaborate with. So, I mean, we, we knew we needed more people aboard. So that, that took some years, actually. And, and during that time, Ipnop hardly changed. Uh, some ideas grew, but we didn't change the prototype. And only, right, I'd say three years ago, we started to really go into production. We had found all the, fina- uh, like all the funding. Uh, we partnered up with CodeGlue, another Dutch uh, game studio uh, who took care of all the, all the programming. And then we, I mean, we basically ditched my prototype and started from scratch. And that took, uh, in the end, it took us about three years to develop. And that's actually a long time for this, this kind of game, I'd say. And that's partly because the team during that, that whole period was kind of small. And at certain stages, we, uh, we had to focus on other things to, to <laughs> make some money. So uh, we had some, we had some pauses in between and also it, it still was my first project. So I had to learn a lot about uh, publishing on, uh, on PlayStation, basically, uh, communicating, uh, about the game and everything. Yeah. And in your question, you asked like whether I kept on iterating and whether I ever felt like it was done. I actually did, uh, the, the final product that's out on PlayStation feels, yeah, it feels like where I wanted it to be. Uh, obviously there's always other ideas that I would love to have in there, but I, I think that at that stage, it, it all felt comfortable and uh, we never felt like we had to rush it, uh, into a finished product. So it feels like a really nice, nice polished end. Um, but it, it yeah, it took a while. <laughs> I mean, this leads on quite nicely to my next question. You said it took a long time, but there was never any, you never felt there was any rush. So how was it to work with Sony, with the PlayStation team in the development of Ibanob? Were they were they helpful in helping you to market the game, promote the game, and and how it would be positioned? Um, yeah, definitely. When when we first talked to Sony, uh, we talked about them actually producing the game or like collaborating on the production. Uh, but in the end, we chose to self-publish because that became more of more and more of an uh, an option on PlayStation. Both the people at Sony Europe and Sony US have been. Uh, 
really helpful in uh, and really patient in in getting the the product out there and yeah especially in the us we were part of a, a really nice launch deal so together with three other games we got uh, quite a lot of attention and that that helped a lot the relationship with them is really good. I can easily give them a call and discuss any kind of idea. And at the same time, they also bring up ideas on, on promotions, etc. So that, that feels like a really nice uh, way of uh, working together. And you're still in contact with Sony, with PlayStation 4 being all about the players and Ibanov certainly being a game for players, plural. Mm-hmm. Will we be seeing a version of it on the PlayStation 4? Uh, I honestly don't know yet. I mean, I think there's a good chance that we we do that, but at least we're considering that. But it partly depends on how well the PC launch will do. So next month we're releasing on the Steam, and basically, it, yeah, it needs to make some money. <laughs> uh, if if it doesn't, we don't have the we don't have the budget to work on a PlayStation Four version. If we would do a PS4 version, I'd kind of like to bring something extra to the game. So I mean, we ha- we had some ideas that we. We weren't able to get in the current version, and then I'm really talking about polish as well, like uh, details that were just too time-consuming to work on now. And it would be nice to get get all of those in and get sort of like a revamped version out there. I don't know. It it really depends on how the PC version does. I can't really say it. I I, I wish I'd actually know, but uh, I really don't know right now. So that's okay. Thanks for your candor. So the PC version's out next month. Were you happy with the response to Ibanob? Did it meet your expectations, firstly, with respect to the players, and secondly, financially? So first of all, I'm really happy with the final product and the way people respond to it. Uh, Reviews have been uh, very kind, and especially player reception has been really good. And, And that's basically, that was my, well, sort of my first priority. It's my first game. I don't have any depths. Uh, I'm happy with the final product and people seem to really enjoy it. So that was sort of my main concern. And then financially, financially wise, I, unfortunately, I can't tell you uh, exact sales data, but it's, it's, it's okay. It's not super good. It's not super bad. It's, uh, it's actually okay. And it allows us to, uh, to have been working on the PC version. And yeah, I mean, it would have been nice if that immediately gave us uh, some budget to to continue on the next few years. But I don't know, it's, it feels good. Staying on Ibanob for just a minute, what games inspired the game mechanics? Because as we played through, we picked up hints of Mario, Curry Curry Mix, uh, Portal. What games do you play and, and how did they fit into it? Uh, I actually I played Mario during my graduation project, uh, but I guess that, that sort of influences any platform game. But games that that really inspired me were uh, games that sort of clearly focused on one central mechanic, like Portal. But actually, when I started, I don't think there was a Portal game yet. Uh, But for example, Katamari Damashi, that's the kind of game that I really like. So it has a single core mechanic that's very elegant and original. And it builds this whole unique game world around that with its own visual atmosphere. And in the case of Katamari Damashi with its quirky Japanese poppy music, uh, which just makes a really nice total product. But it all starts at this sort of core mechanic. And games like Braid, VVV, VVV, uh, well, there's many games I'd be able to mention. And those are the kind of games that I, I really enjoy and uh, that kind of fit the way I, I work. So with those games, they've got a very much single-player focus, I think it would be fair to say. Yeah. Was there any ever pressure to make a more accessible single-player mode or game? 
we knew that it would be a lot easier to to sell the game if it had like a, a really nice accessible single player option. Uh, but at the same time, we knew that if we would try to create that, well, in a way, we'd be making a whole new game because. Everything in Ibn Op, all the mechanics are designed around this two-player cooperative uh, interaction. For example, building AI as a companion to help you through these levels, it would be really complex to do so. Uh, and it will never be the same amount of fun of, of doing this together. So we decided to instead spend all the time on making the two-player mode as fun as possible. And yeah, basically focusing on what it's actually good at. At first, we thought we wouldn't even include the single player option. Uh, but then during development, we often tested the game ourselves, like playing with both characters simultaneously. And we kind of started to enjoy that, uh, enjoy it for its like really, <laughs> really difficult challenge. And then we thought like, okay, we can remove it or we can leave it in for those players who really enjoy that, like the, the, the really punishing, uh, self-punishing players. But in the end, that might have not been a good idea. I don't know. There were there were definitely players enjoying that. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of reviewers didn't really look at the single player like that. So they basically just told the, the audience like, oh, the single player is really way too difficult and not a lot of fun. And I mean, I agree. This I, The single player isn't in there to be a lot of fun. It's in there to be a really difficult challenge. I think it's, it's just our job to be very clear to players like this is a two-player cooperative game. Uh, that's how you're sort of supposed to play it, or that's how it's most fun. If you're the kind of person who would actually enjoy this at single player, please do so. Uh, but it's not recommended. I've just opened up the email which you sent me back in August when we first got review code for the game. And there's a brilliant line there where you write, there is a single player option, but we look at it as a crazy bonus mode to test your multitasking skills to the max. It's actually kind of interesting story to that. That line is in there because Ipnob released in the US one week before it did in the, in Europe. And uh, the press in the US had already sort of written about it. And in the email I sent to, to them, I didn't mention the, the single player in that way. And I noticed that the way they wrote uh, was with, without knowing that the, the, how we kind of intended the single player to be. I was kind of shocked by that. I was like, oh. Some actually wrote like most of their review about single player and then in the end mentioned something like, yeah, and when playing with two players, it's actually a lot of fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the, that's the other way around. So yeah, when I sent the European press an email, I put that line in there trying to explain at least how we look at the single player. And, and to be honest, that helped a lot. The European version, even though it's the exact same game, got a lot nicer reviews. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> We we do have a single player bias, I guess, don't we? In in games. Yeah, and well, I think in video games we we do, but also at the same time, yeah, it, it was a bit. I mean, I kind of assumed people would know if an op is about two players, but why would they? I mean, it's not like everyone sort of knows all the details about what what I'm doing. So I learned I learned that I have to sort of communicate about what's actually what the game is about. There is a definitely a single player focus uh, with people that I mean, some people wrote like, oh, this game punishes you for having no friends. And I was like, ah, it punishes you for having no friends. Wait a minute. Like you would never write that in a review on a board game, for example. It, it is the kind of way we play games now. And it's uh, yeah, it does have a lot uh, or large single player focus. And I do believe that most players play their games uh, single player. I think that's true, but but then I think 
we're both in our 30s now, Richard. We grew up playing couch co-op. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's uh, that's part of uh, why I didn't realize it. Yeah, it's also. I mean, it's it, it is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed making this game two-player uh, co-op because the way I used to play games with my brother was together in front of a TV playing, well, and not only playing co-op games, but but both on a couch playing either taking turns or helping each other out uh, with strategy or actually playing co-op or co- uh, competitive. I guess it's, <laughs> is it the age? <laughs> I think I think we might just be old now. Oh my God, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> One thing um, I've mentioned to you previously was that my wife, who's not a gamer, played Ibanob with me, um, sat in front of the television when we were reviewing it. Now, I told you that before, and you were really pleased, and then you mentioned you met your girlfriend playing Ibanob. <laughs> I, I showed Ibanob at um, a festival in the Netherlands. It's, it's called Cinekit, um, uh, which is a festival mostly aimed at, at kids age seven and up. And I was there showing Ibanob, uh, and at the booth next to me was who turned out to be my girlfriend. Also uh, demonstrating a, a game or actually an interactive uh, installation. Yeah, we, we kind of ended up talking to each other and actually playing Ibn Up together uh, on this couch that they had there. And yeah, I kind of noticed that we were really comfortable uh, together on the couch. So um, it grew from there and uh, it was a really good start. Yeah. And so this whole project has been uh, <laughs> useful <laughs> in itself. Um, and you, you do a lot of showing of your games so i think recently you've you've had ibanob at gdc south by southwest yeah how does it make you feel when you see people out in the wild playing it families getting together in front of your games yeah i I think um i I didn't realize this at the start of the project especially working on a a local multiplayer game is very it's very rewarding going to festivals or conferences and showing your game because for example, Austin, the South by Southwest Expo, it was really suitable for Ibn Up. There were a lot of families there, a lot of couples, and uh, Ibn Up is, is really approachable or, or accessible. You just need to know that you can jump and walk left and right, and the rules kind of explain themselves. So it's very, it makes it very suitable for, for an event like that. And I hadn't realized that it would be, uh, that there would actually be so many events interested in showcasing uh, the game. And it's been sort of our our playtesting thing throughout the whole development. So we've been to many events, and I've seen a lot of people play the game. It's it's both a lot of fun to watch people play your game because that's that's not what you get to see when they just buy it and they're playing it somewhere, <laughs> uh, and occasionally they they write something like, "Oh, I really enjoyed that game." But just watching them play is is like really is the best. And at the same time, it gives you like a lot of feedback on. Uh, uh, what parts of levels are too difficult or what works and uh, yeah it's been really useful with that in mind would you say that has changed your focus now onto the the multiplayer the social aspect of gaming getting people together and playing together i'm actually not sure yet so another game that i'm working on right now together with uh, thomas k is uh, chalo chalo which is a four player uh, sort of strategic racing game and it's four players locally only, which makes it probably very unsuitable to actually sell. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of fun at, at events. So I don't know I, I really enjoy that part of it. But at the same time, that I also have some prototypes and, and ideas for concepts that just work really well in single player. So I'm not sure. 
I really enjoy that. And I, I'm kind of surprised that there's not that many. For example, there's not a lot of two-player co-op games out there. And when you're at an event, you notice that a lot of people actually enjoy that. So, yeah, it feels like an explored terrain. And I would love to do more in that direction. But then at the same time, I also uh, enjoy the games that give you a, a single player experience where you uh, just temporarily find yourself in, in, in this different atmosphere and different world and just, just be there in a sort of a focused single player thing. But I, I don't know, it would feel weird now to not do any local multiplayer anymore because it's been so enjoyable. So it's, it's probably going to stick uh, stick in there, yeah. And you've just come back from the AMAZE Awards in Berlin with Chalo Chalo, yeah. where you were nominated for the Human Human Machine Award, which is an award for the best game that can be played by two or more people in the same room and includes some digital element. Yeah. So tell us a bit about Chalo Chalo then. Chalo Chalo is a four-player racing game. It's not about speed or reflexes. It's about uh, strategy. And it's mostly about figuring out what the optimal path to your goal is. Uh, and the way it works is that you're racing these uh, randomly generated uh, levels where there's four types of terrain or each having different properties. So one is really slow, the other is really fast. Uh, one is sort of ice-like, so you can't really steer, but you can keep your speed on it. And basically what happens, you get this randomly generated level and all four of the players have never seen this before. And so what they need to figure out is what's the optimal path towards the end of the, the end of that race. And at the same time, after every race, you can get to choose, uh, you get to choose a power up for the next one, which makes for inter- interesting new strategies and uh, nice uh, last minute changes during a race. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's very much uh, a game that's about uh, mechanics. And for example, we haven't uh, really looked at the art yet. So it's, it's really abstract. Uh, basically, it's just dots racing on squares. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, you notice that people are really enjoying it and they're really excited, even though it's, it's just a fixed, it's like one screen. The race is one screen and uh, the dots are moving slowly i think it's probably the slowest racing game ever um but it but there's a lot of excitement there so it's yeah it's a lot of fun to work on both thomas and me uh so far we've really looked at this as a side project because i've been mostly busy with ip and up and he had his own projects i don't know it's it's kind of only recently we we realized that people are actually really enjoying it and we definitely want to spend more time on it and making it into some something of a releasable version. With it being four-player, local multiplayer, what platform would you see it releasing on if it were to, you know, in, in an ideal world? Yeah, it's um, that's a very good question. So far, we've not been thinking too much about that. Uh, basically, what we said to each other at the start is like, oh, we're probably never going to make any money on this. It's a side project. It should be fun, and we should focus on making it as much fun as possible for uh, for four players. But then now, uh, for example, uh, the PS4 actually has some really nice local multiplayer games. Quite soon, they'll they'll release Sports Friends uh, on there, which has some four player, actually a lot of four player uh, local multiplayer games on there. So who knows? Uh, maybe there's actually uh, maybe it actually fits a PS4. And then at the same time, we're using Unity for its development. So a PC really is, is like a really obvious choice. Only I, I uh, 
there's not a lot of people that that'll have access to four controllers on the, on their PC. So I th- I think it it'll mainly be an event game, uh, and that's kind of what we'll optimize it for. So it's it's going to be really accessible. We're gonna try and minimize all the rules that new players have to learn. So it's easy to pick up at events. But who knows? I, I'd love uh, to see it. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd love to see it on PlayStation or uh, a Steam release. But maybe that's uh, still far away. You told me earlier you could pick up the phone to PlayStation anytime, Richard. Have have you made that phone call? Uh, I haven't made the phone call, but I, I talked to them in uh, during GDC. So uh, who knows? Who knows? But that's also. I mean, we're still very much in development with that. Uh, we have a lot of ideas, actually quite big changes we want to make to the to the current mechanics. So I think for now, we're just going to focus on that and bring it to different events and see how people uh, respond to it. Uh, and at the same time, both Steam and PS4 will change during that time. So we'll keep, a, we'll keep an eye on that and, uh, I don't know, hopefully get it out there on a suitable system. But I don't know. It'll be some time. Speaking of time, or lack thereof recently you made a game in 48 hours with lambia of ridiculous fishing fame yes yeah so jan willem nyman is a, is a good friend of mine and we've been talking about games a lot but obviously he's quite busy <laughs> as he manages to i don't know make multiple games every year uh, and we never worked together and it always felt like something we would we would both want to try so super game jam is a documentary about making a game in 48 hours. Uh, it's made by uh, Bram Reuter and Daniel Carnero. Basically what they did is uh, in five episodes, they pair up two designers who've never worked together and uh, they document this. Each of the pairs get a gets a theme and they have to create a game out of that in 48 hours. And that's what I did. So this is the moving images documentary that, and I, and I believe your your game your your part of this will be the first part of the documentary out this month. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you'll buy the documentary on Steam, which will give you access to all five episodes when they're released. So the first one will be released this month, and then every next month uh, a new episode will be released. Yeah, you know, you'll get access to the to the film and to the games that have been made. Uh, so you, you'll get five small games and uh, and sort of like the making of those, which is, I, I mean, I really like the concept. Um, and for me, it was a great excuse to work with uh, Jan Willem. And that was, uh, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, surprising to see how, how much you can do in 48 hours. You're good friends. How did you get on doing it? Was it, was it stressful? Did it test your relationship during those 48 hours? No, it was actually quite... Uh, quite relaxed in a way. The whole experience was really relaxed and I I had expected there, there to be more like stress, but the whole process went really well. So uh, Jan Willem has a lot of experience with game jams. Uh, I don't. It was my first one. So I, I guess because of that, he kind of took the lead in, in deciding the, the tempo. So like he basically orchestrated like, okay, we we need to get this done right now and we'll have enough time to get that done later. And that made it really, in a way, really smooth. I think after only a few hours, we had a first playable prototype of our racing game, uh, which already felt kind of interesting. It, it took the pressure off a bit. And yeah, in general, we we, we slept well, <laughs> <laughs> we ate well. I felt, felt really comfortable, actually. I mean, we worked 
a lot. We worked a lot of hours, but still uh, n- not in a really stressful way. Can you describe the game that you created for our listeners? Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> so, so we made a racing game. We were given a theme at the start of the game jam, and the theme is breakup. And we ended up making a racing game that's partly about your racing skills, but it's also about your relationship with your navigator, which is also the, the name of the game. So it's called Navigator. Uh, so what happens, there's two of these little dudes, characters uh, in the car. And if you bump too hard uh, into other players or into the track, uh, your navigator gets bumped out and is left there on the track. And you try to pick him up in the next uh, lap again. But there's also a chance that somebody else will pick him up or you can pick up somebody else's navigator. Every successful lap you finish with your navigator (laughs) uh, will gain you some some love. So it'll give you an extra heart. At the end of every race, those hearts add up to the, the hearts you get for winning the race. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's partly just trying to properly race the tracks and partly making sure you keep track of your navigator and don't lose him too often uh, and pick up the right one again if you, lose, if you do lose him. It's, I think we got pretty far in 48 hours. And it's actually kind of fun to, there's like four races and uh, it's kind of interesting to go through those. So yeah, it feels cool. Did you feel that you have to make any sacrifices in your design process? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So th- the way I would normally work, I, I would iterate on, on any part. So I'd take a lot more time uh, setting up setting up the, the game mechanics and trying out different things and there's basically just no time to do so. So you, you just stick with the ideas that you have. I mean, obviously, we made some choices during that process and uh, we threw some things out and added some others. But uh, you only have very limited time to do so. And this jam, I uh, I was responsible for uh, the art as well. So we both did the game design. Uh, Jan Willem did the coding and I did the art. Uh, and yeah, in the art, I mean... Uh, this time I, I often only had like a one chance, like <laughs> I just had one go at, at something and that's hop, that's in the game. And normally I would have a lot of time tweaking color palettes, uh, tweaking designs. So, that, but that's kind of cool to see. It's like um, I enjoy looking at the result and uh, realizing that certain choices are actually pretty okay to just <laughs> make very quickly. But yeah, obviously, if we, if we would have spent twice the time, we, we would have uh, iterated on many parts of it. And and one of the things is we don't have uh, sound uh, in the game, which is, well, in a racing game, that's quite a big thing. You, you kind of want that. But yeah, Jan Willem has experience making some sound and music, but that's just too much to, to fit in 48 hours. So we have a mute racing game. Was that a bit disconcerting? Was it a bit of a, a disconnect between the game and the player? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know yet. Not a lot of people have played it yet. <laughs> but it's something that we realized like, during the process, like, okay, we're not going to be able to make the music. Can we ask somebody else to do it? And we kind of decided like now, well, it's 48 hours. It's just the two of us. This is what we can create. And in a way, a, a game jam is more of a, it's more like a sketch of, of what it could become. Like a cross-section. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, that's probably, uh, that's why you do a game jam. I mean, I, it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be a, a nice final polished uh, product. 
it basically should communicate and allow you to play something that you haven't tried before and i think it does that uh, pretty well yeah, I hope players will make some noise when playing themselves. So Navigator and the your part of the Super Game Jam documentary are available on Steam when? Uh, at the end of this month. I I don't think the exact date has been set, So, but it's somewhere this month. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll keep people updated with that date when it's available. And what's next for Sparkweed? Personally, I'm, I'm still, like, this month is going to be really busy finishing up the Steam version of uh, Ipnop. We're also releasing the PS3 version in Japan, uh, hopefully quite soon as well. So that, that'll mainly keep me busy. And then I hope to spend some time on uh, a bit more time on Chalo Chalo and picking up some of the smaller prototypes I made earlier and spending some time on that. And I, I look forward to doing some smaller projects because Ipanop has been uh, a long process. So I hope that after the PC release, I get some time to do so. Richard, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks. Yeah, it's nice. Nice chat. <laughs> it's been lovely. Don't forget, if you want to tweet us, you can do so at Codec Moments and use the hashtag Codec Call. You can also find us on Facebook or Google+. The Codec Call is a production of Codec Moments. For more information, visit our website at codecmoments.com. Until next time, bye. <laughs>